Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor John Butler speaks from the subject of the cross. It's not what you think. And now, here is today's message. Mark chapter 15, starting with verse 12. First of all, 12 through 20. Pilate asked them, Pilate's the Roman governor who, was, who had Jesus on trial. He asked them, Then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And the crowd shouted back, Crucify him. Why, demanded Pilate, what crime has he committed? But the, the mob roared even louder, Crucify him. And so to pacify the crowd, Pilate released uh, Barabbas to them, and he ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, and then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters called the Praetorium and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! They struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. And when they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. Now verse 24 and 25. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. Now verses 33 and 34. At noon... Darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. And then at 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, which means, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Verse 37. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he died, he exclaimed, This man truly was the Son of God. Father, I pray that you would add your anointing and your understanding, your illumination and revelation to the reading, the hearing, the preaching, and the doing of your word. Lord, I pray that today, if never before, today that we see you on the cross, that we understand what you were doing. We understand not just what it was, but what it is. And God, I pray that, that you would just confirm your word today with your power in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, there were many symbols of Christianity in the early church. There was the fish. You still see those on, on cars and bumper stickers sometimes. You, there, there was the anchor. There was the Greek letter X, which, which was the first letter in the Greek word for Christ, which, by the way, is why they use it in Christmas. They do Xmas. X, the X stands for Christ. Even the peacock was an early symbol of Christianity. But the one enduring image of Christianity is the cross. 
Go to any cemetery around the world and you'll find the graves of Christians by looking for the cross. You wear a cross around your neck anywhere in the world and you'll be identified with Christ. You put up a cross on any government property in America today and the atheist will howl at the moon because it is the undisputed symbol of Jesus Christ and His enduring impact in this world. But even though everyone recognizes it, many people don't understand it. There are myths and misinformation surrounding the cross that not only minimizes what it did in that moment in history, but it neutralizes its power to affect the present and the future. So if you don't understand what the cross was, you'll never understand what the cross is. And so today I want us to look into the Word and look at the cross again, and let's try to tear down some of the myths that try to diminish the value of the cross. So this message is called The Cross, It's Not What You Think. The cross, it's not what you think. So I want to look at, at, at three uh, myths of the cross, or about the cross, and balance them with the truth of the Word. So here's the first one. The cross is decision, not destiny. Decision, not destiny. Now, I've heard people say that it was Jesus' destiny to die on the cross. And some people say that with the best of intentions, meaning that, that Jesus that died on the cross because it was a fulfillment of prophecy, which of course it certainly was. But, but prophets had foretold of, of, uh, for hundreds of years that Jesus would come, and even that He would die on the cross. But let's be clear about what destiny is. Destiny is this idea that all of our decisions... And all of our actions are predetermined. And that no matter what we do or what we desire, the outcome is a foregone conclusion and we can never deviate from that outcome. In other words, what's supposed to happen is going to happen no matter what we do or say or what we decide. Now, now listen to me carefully. The cross of Jesus Christ had nothing to do with destiny. It was not Jesus' destiny that caused Him to be crucified. You see, if we believe that it was fate or it was destiny that caused the actions of the second person of the Godhead, then we've chosen to believe in a power greater than God Himself. If destiny dictates to deity, then we believe more in the power of destiny than in the power of God. Destiny is a pagan belief. It's rooted in ancient Greek mythology and other ancient religions where they believe that the gods stood around on Mount Olympus and they played with the lives of men like puppets, like dolls, figurines, causing them to do whatever they wanted them to do. That's mythology. It's mythology. The Bible, from the very first book of the Bible, demonstrates that we are free will moral agents. We're able to make our own decisions even if it's not what God wants us to do. Can I get an amen on that? So if we believe that our future is not determined by destiny, why in the world would we think that Jesus died on the cross because it was His destiny? The cross of Jesus was not His destiny. It was His decision. He decided to come to this earth. He decided to be born as a human. He decided to live on this earth and then decided the circumstances and the timing of His death. I want to show it to you in, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6-8. through eight. Though He was God, speaking of Jesus, 
He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. It was a decision. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He decided to be crucified. It was his choice, not his destiny. Look at John chapter 19. When Jesus was being tried, he looked at Pilate and Pilate said, Why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? And then Jesus said, You would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus told this Roman ruler in no uncertain terms, the only reason that you're going to crucify me is because I'm letting you. It was, it, it, it's my choice, not yours. Not the Roman governments, not the Jewish high council. The Father and I decided this is what was going to happen. It was not destiny. It was a decision. Look at Matthew chapter 26. Don't you, this is Jesus speaking, don't you realize He's in the garden being arrested, leading, leading to His crucifixion within just a matter of hours. Jesus said, don't you realize I could ask my Father for thousands of angels to protect us, and He'd send them instantly? But if I did, how would the Scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Jesus said, look, at any moment, if I give the word, the Father will send thousands of angels to my rescue, and I'm out of here. And you better believe that those angels would have come as hard and fast as they possibly could to get their Creator and Master out of this absurd situation. The innocent and holy one dying on a criminal's cross for people who not only didn't recognize Him for who He is, but we're not even grateful for what He was doing. You say, but see, that says he, he did it because it had to happen, so that's His destiny. No, He said, if I leave here without dying on this cross, how will the Scriptures be fulfilled? Let me ask you this. Who wrote the Scriptures? Who inspired the prophets? Who told them what was going to happen? Jesus did. The Word of God. It wasn't destiny that sent Him to the cross. It was His decision from the foundations of the world. You say, well, John, you're pretty worked up about that, but what difference does it make? It makes all the difference in the world. Jesus wasn't just some good man or some great teacher who, who was destined to give His life for a cause that He believed in. He was God in the flesh who chose to give His life to take the punishment for our sins and make a way for us to be forgiven and in right relationship with God. We could never get to God, so God came to us. Not because He had to, but because He decided to. The cross was not an obligation of fate. It was a demonstration of love. Amen. He came because He loved us. And you can believe that if you call out to Him today, what He did on that cross 2,000 years ago will change everything you know about yourself and your present and your future because He loves you. The cross was, was not destiny. It was a decision. Now here's the, second, here's the second thing, the second myth 
that we need to dispel today. The cross is about unity, not division. The cross is about unity and not division. So we've been studying the book of Ephesians on Wednesday nights for a couple of months, and, and I think that's what has lit my fire about the cross. I want to, <clears throat> I want to show you in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. For Christ himself brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one body, in his own, in, into one people, when in his own body, on the cross, he broke down the wall of, of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new group from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. You see, so many people talk about the cross as a symbol of division, that it divides Christians from the rest of the world. And listen, I know that the gospel, the cross is a stumbling block to those who don't believe, whose eyes haven't been opened to the spiritual truth of Jesus. I get that, but that's the effect. It's not the intention. You see, too many times we hold up the cross as a way to divide people, a way of keeping people out. We say things like, well, Jesus is the only way to the Father. He died on the cross for you. And if you can't accept that sacrifice, you've got no way to be redeemed. You just need to go on. You can't get in. And while some of that is technically true, you're missing the point. Amen. You're missing the purpose. I want to show you this. I found this this, this week as I, was, uh, as I was preparing this message. I want to show you this graphic. That's the purpose of the cross. The cross isn't to, isn't to be raised to keep people out. It's to be extended to let people in. If, if they will only use the people only use the cross as a bridge, then they can have right relationship with the Father again. The cross isn't the obstacle, it's the bridge. It's not about division, it's about unity. It's about bringing people to the Father, not keeping them out. 1 Peter chapter 3. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but He died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. But so, He suffered physical death, but He was raised to life in the Spirit. Listen, He tore down the wall of hostility. He pulled down the veil. He made everybody equal at the foot of the cross. But it wasn't our greatness that united us. It wasn't our moral, our moral uh, righteousness. It, it wasn't that we were upstanding people. It, what united us was not our greatness, it was our sin. We're all united by our utter hopelessness and helplessness. We're all the same at the foot of the cross, which means we're completely dependent upon the love and the grace of Jesus and desperately in need of a Savior. The cross doesn't stand to keep people out of God's presence. It extends across the great divide to give people a way to come into the family. It's about unity, not about division. And because of that, all the other ways that we've divided ourselves don't matter anymore. I want to show you this in John chapter 12. Jesus said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, you see the imagery there of the cross? 
When I'm lifted up from the earth, I'll draw everyone to myself. And then, and then John explains it in the next verse. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. So Jesus said, when I'm hung on the cross, when I'm crucified, I will draw everyone to myself. Everyone. He draws everyone to himself because of the cross. And John, why should I get excited about that? Because you're in everyone. If he didn't invite everyone, then none of us could have come. So, so there's no more Jew or Gentile. There, there's no more male or female. There's no more black or white or brown or, or yellow or red. You're, there's no more rich or poor or middle class. There's no more slave or free. No more married or single. No more gay or straight or undecided. No more Democrat or Republican or Libertarian. No more educated or uneducated. No more church kids or ex-convicts. The world has given us every way to divide ourselves, but the cross of Jesus wipes all of that stuff out. None of that matters at the cross because the cross is a symbol of unity, not a symbol of division. So we don't have to be choosy who we witness to. We don't have to be selective who we invite to church. We don't have to find the worthy ones because the book of Romans is clear about that. There's none of us worthy, not even one. That makes our target demographic pretty easy. If they're human, they need Jesus. If they're sinners and everyone's born a sinner, then the cross of Jesus is for them. Not to keep them out, but to bring them into the family. The first Casting Crown song I heard was called If We Are the Body. I think it was their first single. And the bridge of that song is the key concept. It said Jesus paid much too high a price for us to pick and choose who should come. The cross unites everybody under the banner of needing a Savior. And aren't you glad it did? You say, but what about the, the, what about the sin that these people are involved in? Is everybody welcome just to come to the cross just as they are and then continue to live just like they've always lived? Well, of course not. And that brings us to the final point. The cross... Is, is warfare, not weakness. The cross is warfare, not weakness. See, there are people who see the cross of Jesus as a sign of weakness, as a symbol of defeat, the untimely and tragic end to a great man's life. Well, if that's how you see the cross, then you don't understand the cross. Amen. Let me try to help you see it, this Old Testament account in Joshua chapter 7. Real familiar uh, passage of Scripture, but I want to use it for a different purpose. When they returned, they told Joshua, these were his military scouts, they said, listen, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack the little city of Ai. Since there's so few of them, don't make all of our people struggle to go up there. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slopes. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. Now, here's chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid or discouraged. Take all your fighting men and attack Ai, for I have given you the king of Ai, his people, his town, and his land. 
You will destroy them as you destroyed Jericho and its king. But this time you may keep the plunder and the livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the town. And so Joshua and all the fighting men set out to attack Ai. Joshua chose 30,000 of his best warriors and sent them out at night with these orders. Hide in ambush behind the town, close behind the town and be ready for action. When our main army attacks, the men of Ai will come out to fight as they did before and we will run away from them. Y'all see this plan? We will let them chase us until we have drawn them away from the town. For they will say the Israelites are running away from us as they did before. And then while we're running from them, you will jump up from your ambush and take possession of the town for the Lord your God will give it to you. Set the town on fire as the Lord has commanded. You have your orders. Now, what an, what an incredible account of what happened. When it, what got Israel defeated. So let me fill in the gaps between the, the, the uh, verses in chapter 7 and the verses in chapter 8. What got Israel defeated was sin. Remember it was Achan who hid the, hid the forbidden treasure from Jericho in his tent. So it was sin that got him defeated. Sin always brings defeat and death. That's the wages of sin. When you participate in sin, it brings death. But God had another plan for Joshua. After they, after they rid the, the, the camp of the sin, he, he, told the, the, he told Joshua, look, you're going to draw the army out of the city with a planned and calculated retreat. He, he would appear, he said, Joshua, you're going to appear to be defeated, but it's going to allow the enemy to get further and further away from the city, and then you're going to capture what belongs to the enemy and crush him in defeat. Can I tell you this morning, that's exactly what happened on the cross. Amen. That's exactly what happened on the cross. Sin had caused death and defeat for all of humanity for thousands of years. And the enemy was confident and cocky. They thought the cross would end Jesus once and for all. But Jesus had other plans. The cross didn't demonstrate the weakness of Jesus. It wasn't the victory of Satan over him. It was a calculated battlefield tactic. The enemy thought he had won when he saw Jesus on that cross. But the cross allowed Jesus to go in and ransack the enemy's camp. He took back what rightfully belonged to God. He, he took back the keys to death and hell and the grave. He took back the opportunity to have right relationship with mankind by becoming our sacrifice for sin. It might have appeared to be weakness, but it was warfare. The cross was the deciding battle in the cosmic war between good and evil. That's why Jesus declared from the cross, It is finished. Let me show you this in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. God's purpose in all of this, all the gospel, was to use the church to display His wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in, in the heavenly places. This was His eternal plan, which He carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, there's a bigger picture than what we see. God has plans for, to, to redeem mankind and the earth. He's going to complete what He started. He's going to crush the rebellion of Lucifer once and for all. Sending Jesus to die on the cross and create a brand new body of everybody who's ever, who's ever been born. It was intended to advance that purpose and show everyone and everything in the spirit world just how smart God is. 
It was the old rugged cross. It was more than just a symbol. It was God's flag planted at the 50-yard line of the devil. They thought Jesus was the underdog. They, they thought they had him beat. They, they hit him with their best shot, and God pulled a fast one on him. He, he used what appeared to be the weakness to win the war. We, we may have some skirmishes with the devil now, but he's a defeated foe. Jesus already won the war on the cross. In the warfare between good and evil, the cross demonstrates that good wins. In the war between sin and death, grace and life crushes it. Let me show it to you in Romans chapter 6. For when he died, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Boy, we don't, we don't talk about that much, do we? We don't live like that much, do we? And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that He lives, He lives for the glory of God. Verse 11, So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Verse 13, Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Listen, the, the, the power of sin is only as powerful as we allow it to be in our lives. Sin's dead to us, and we're dead to sin. Sin was defeated by the cross of Jesus. Not just, not just forgiven, it was defeated. It, it, sin's a defeated foe. The only weapons it has is deception and intimidation. And those aren't real weapons. The enemy wants you to think it has power, but the cross disarmed the enemy. Look at this in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for He forgave all your sins. Look at this, He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by His victory over them on the cross. The cross is so powerful that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, I'm forgetting everything else I know. I'm going to forget everything else. All I'm going to preach is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now remember the kind of culture he was speaking to in Corinth, full of idolatry. They believed in lots of gods, or in some cases, no gods at all. They were self-satisfied. They were arrogant. They were affluent. They were seeking knowledge for the sake of knowing but not interested in life change. Does that sound familiar? Amen. Sounds like 21st century America to me. And it was in that environment that Paul knew the most powerful thing that he could do was preach the cross. Preach the cross. 
The cross is not popular anymore. The cross is not politically correct anymore. We, we preach self-help. We preach prosperity. We preach all the stuff that makes people feel good about themselves. But the bottom line of the gospel is that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. But Jesus came and died for us on the cross to wipe all of that away and to set us free from the law of sin and death. And we can try all the self-help we want, but if we could help ourselves, He wouldn't have had to send Jesus. And because God is a good God, if there was some other way besides sending His Son to suffer and die what we read about 30 minutes ago, then God would never have done it because He's a good God. The only way that the Gospel makes sense is if it is what it says it is. The only way to the Father. The cross isn't weakness. It's warfare. He said in Romans chapter 1, the good news of the gospel that Jesus died and rose again for us is the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God. It, the cross is the power of God. Without the cross, there's no power to change us. There's no hope and no help. If you're dead and your trespasses and sins lost without God and without hope, the cross is your hope. It is your hope. It's the resurrection power that you need to bring you back from the dead. It's the chain-breaking power of God to set you free from sin and habits and addictions and chains and bad relationship choices and a checkered past and lust and, de and evil desires and a foul mouth and a perverted mind and selfishness and the, and the list goes on forever. It doesn't matter how strong the chains of sin are in your life. The cross of Jesus is greater and stronger and more effective. The cross wasn't weakness. It was warfare. It wasn't defeat. It was victory. It wasn't His destiny. It was His decision because He loved you. It wasn't to keep, God, keep you out of God's presence and His goodness and His favor. It was to unite us around the cross so He could bless us and give us everything that we need in our lives. I want you to stand with me this morning. The message of the cross is not just for sinners. The message of the cross is for us. If we stray too far away from the cross, we're going to lose because the cross is the power of God and the salvation. So if you've been losing the war against sin in your life, victory is found in the cross. If you need help in the battle that you're fighting, against doubt and discouragement and fear or sickness or anything else. Victory is found in the cross. It was on the cross that the work was done. It was on the cross that the battle was won. It was on the cross that the, that the enemy was defeated, that, that victory was secured, that shame was removed, that healing was provided, that deliverance was completed, that our strength was demonstrated, that our sins were paid for, that condemnation was condemned, that death was killed, and life was born. Whatever it is that you need this morning, whatever you're missing in your life, it can be found in the cross. Do you believe that this morning? Father, I pray right now that You would help us to have a revelation of the cross and the power of the cross once again. Lord, help us not to buy into the lies of the enemy. We pray that you've been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast with Pastor John Butler. You can hear today's message in its entirety by visiting our website 
at covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.